Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home? Take a deep breath. And feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. If this is your first time or not your first time, this podcast is based on our book, The Book of Joe. I am Tom Berducci, and welcome to Joe Madden. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing wonderfully um, on the West West Coast. I went from Arizona to Long Beach for a couple of days, so hanging out here, playing some golf, having a good time. You know, people who are not familiar with our book should understand that the book does, I think, and of course I'm biased, a really good job, thanks to your experience, Joe, of bringing people into the dugout and what life and the job of managing really is like. And I wanted to dive into that today, Joe, to take people into a major league dugout. Mm -hmm. And let's start with the job of the bench coach. Mm -hmm. Okay, there's been a lot of news recently about bench coaches. By my count, there's been about nine or ten changes in the bench coach position. Some of them are really interesting. Don Mattingly, bench coach back in Toronto. How about that? Charlie Montoya, another former manager bench coach now with the Chicago White Sox. You got Eric Chavez, who a lot of people think might be a manager someday, elevated to bench coach from Buck Showalter in New York. Will Venable in Texas, not just the bench coach. How about this, Joe? His title is associate manager nice. to Bruce Bochy with the Rangers. So you've been around. You've had bench coaches. Give a thumbnail sketch of, as a manager, what do you want from a bench coach? First of all, I know all those guys. That's very interesting. Um, 
that it's becoming in, in, in a way more prominent. I think a part of what you're talking about there might be with the less experienced manager, except for like Boach. But nevertheless, you're, you're always wanting somebody there to, what, what it seems to be the mantra these days is to get somebody in there to help an inexperienced guy, the, the, the new manager in and, uh, Toronto, the new guy in Chicago, uh, et cetera. So I think that's part of what people view it as. But for me, it's a little bit more in-depth. And, and I'm going to go back to the mid-90s when I became one uh, bench coach. Marcel Latchman asked me to be the bench coach after the 95 season where Bobby Knopp had been that. And I was like, really reticent. I said, listen, I am not taking Knopper's spot. I was just, I hope Bobby Knopp with such reverence, but he, Marcel wanted me to do this particular job. So eventually I did starting in 96. Now at that time, there was no, there was no definition. There was no template for what a bench coach does. So honestly, I went out, set out and, and um, created this position on my own. For what it was for me was the organizer of the day the man that permits the manager to intellectualize the day and not have to deal with the minute, the, the stuff that occurs, uh, keep it off his plate, keep him insulated from all this until it's absolutely necessary to bring him in. So I was the, I, I created this method of uh, the daily scheduling. I created my own methods regarding scouting and accumulating information and data at that time and putting it together and then presenting to the group. I used to get all my sheets and I would literally paste them on the wall in the dugout for just a quick review for the manager, anybody that wanted to look at it. So at that time in the in the mid-90s, it was really wide open for interpretation. What does a bench coach do? At that point, I thought Don Zimmer was the premier bench coach because he was Zim. And I think I was right about that. But Zim did not do all these things that I'm talking about. Zim was uh, more of a strategist and, and a confidant and a guy that could really help Joe Torrey at that particular moment with different... Uh, yeah, let me stop you there, yeah. Joe, mm-hmm. because I was going to say Zim sort of redefined it as mm-hmm. a strategic job. Right. And I remember Joe Torrey talking about there were many times where Zim would get in his ear and just give him an idea that maybe he hadn't thought of. Hey, Maybe hit and run right here. Hey, maybe get this guy up in the bullpen. Didn't always follow Don Zimmer, sure. but he would create that thought in his mind that, hey, I hadn't thought about that. That's actually pretty good. Did you do that with the Angels in game as a bench coach? Yeah, I did. And, you know, there's a lot of trust involved with something like that. I don't know that. I, again, I think not jumping around, but the guys that are coming in as bench coach now might be asked to do those kind of things with some younger managers. But I don't think Buck Showalter necessarily needs that. I don't think Bruce Bochy necessarily needs that. And I know Joe was very experienced, but you got Don Zimmer. That's a different level of uh, voice in your ear kind of a stuff. And when it comes to that, I was always um, aware of the fact that any kind of suggestion I might make, if it did go awry, the manager has to answer for it post game. So you're always, I mean, in my mind's eye, I was very, um, if I was absolutely certain with what I was saying or thinking, I would throw it out there. Otherwise, I might have kept it to myself. And But beyond all that, uh, at that time, we talked about this design stealing component. I was the bench coach. Alfredo Griffin is at first and Ron Renicke is at third base. We kind of triangulated things where we would get signs from benches. And um, we knew uh, where the signs were coming from, whether it was the bench coach, possibly the manager. And even with Tony LaRusso, Tony used to have somebody in the dugout just away from him, very casually giving a sign, maybe a towel over the, the railing, maybe the way he stood, scratching, his, whatever it might be. So you're always aware of this. And when we were able to figure things out, Ronnie Primo and I, Ronnie would then be able to transfer to the base runners as an example, and it was really beneficial to us. So that's what I, I did a lot of that as a bench coach. It really comes down to how much can you handle in a day in, in a game and, and how much focus can you apply? And you can't watch the ball. 
I mean, a big part of me as a bench coach was I didn't watch the ball. Uh, you're looking at anything but the ball in, in a situation, just trying to figure out different things. I tried to figure out Ripken giving signs to the catcher when I was a first base coach. Uh, I would just constantly look at him prior to the pitch to see if he could discern anything that he was doing because Cal was giving the signs. And I think A-Rod attempted to do that at one point with the Rangers. So as a bench coach for me, you shouldn't follow the ball. You have all these other duties to perform and you are a confidant. You are a trusted advisor to the manager, but be careful with that because the dude has to answer after the game. And like I said, if I was really had a strong feeling about something, I would just really let it rip. Otherwise I might be more reticent. Did you ever crack Cal's code? I thought I did, but he uh, he was so bright. I and mean, like I said, I might have told you this before. He would either put his arms over his head. He would chew on the. He had a, a little bit of a string coming out the end of his glove, like a tug tug on that. He would uh, with his teeth. He would kick his foot right and left in front of him. He would look to his right or look to his left. He had all these little things, and I I even got to the point I thought maybe he changed them based on even or odd innings, things like that. So it was it was almost impossible. I mean, it really requires a, a lot of. Uh, a focus uh, from you. And the biggest thing for me was getting third base coaches signs. And I think I mentioned to you also that in the late nineties, I was pretty good at that. And we did pitch out well uh, based on stuff. But even think about it at that time, teams try to do things right now. It's hard to get signs because nobody does anything. There's, there's no signs to be had. Nobody is hitting running. Steals are primarily guys having the green light and going on their own. And then you're trying to read the runner. If he looks like he might be leaning or not leaning. And for me, the, the, the toughest guy to really discern at first base when he's going to go or not is the guy that never looks the same. Uh, in other words, you, you don't know. He might be leaning one time. He might be straight up one time. He might be fidgety one time, but he never looks the same. And he's the hard guy to read as opposed to the guy that absolutely has two different methods. This is what I look like when I'm not going. And this is what I look like when I am going. So these are the kind of things I was locked into as the bench coach. And um, I had a great time with it. But as a manager, it's hard for me to do those things because I my focus is in other areas. Yeah, let me get to that. By the way, I should have mentioned too, Matt Holliday, the bench coach uh-huh. for Ollie Marmol, second year manager with the Cardinals. I thought Ollie did a great job last year in his first major league managing gig. And now he's got Matt Holliday besides him. So Joe, you've had a few different bench coaches. What did you want from your bench coaches? I wanted them to be fearless. I wanted them to have tough conversations. I wanted them to, like I said, deflect things that may have to get to me. And I think that's what I did for Marcel and for Terry and Soch for so many years. You try to put out the the, the little um, forest fire, little campfires, like not a forest fire. You don't ever want it to get to that point, but the little campfires, you want to put them out before they become uh, they start blazing even heavier. Um, so that's what I would do. And that's what I want my bench coach to do. So he can't be afraid of a difficult conversation. He has to deal with it head on. He has to try to nip it in the bud before it gets any more um, deeply embedded within the group. And then it, then it possibly might have come to me. So that's number one. After that, uh, the organizational component, I uh, love that he does the schedule, the, the way he's able to um, get it across to the players. And, and you can see when a, when a group really respects a bench coach. I think there is a certain level of humor. There's a certain level of toughness involved with that. And uh, when you get that guy, it's, it becomes very beneficial. For me in the game, I needed that guy to, to truly get guys ready. That's what a bench coach does for me. And I, I didn't necessarily need somebody to advise me during the game as much as I needed them to listen to me. And because I'm, I get so quiet and absorbed in the moment that even if you said something to me, I might not always hear it. But if I needed you to get hitters ready or an extra player ready or a pinch runner ready, 
I needed that to be done and and know that it was going to get done. And then the better guys like Davey would read me, uh, Hyder would read me, um, all these guys that I had for a while would start reading me and they'd be able to have this done in advance. So that's what you want. It's a, it's a guy that's fearless, has tough conversations, is on top of the thoughts during, during the course of the game. And you know, if you ask for something, it's going to get done without question. By the way, I do remember when you were bench coach with the Angels, the lineup cards you posted in the dugout. Very clean, Joe. Mm-hmm. And always a quote of the day on there. Yeah. I thought that was cool. That was one of the first times I saw that. But I got to tell you, the best lineup cards in the business, Ryan Christensen, San Diego Padres bench coach. Okay, These things are works of art. He told me it takes him a half hour to put it together. And they're different styles. I mean, it'll be calligraphy. It'll be kind of graffiti style. It's amazing. You would swore it's a piece of art. It's a lineup card he posted to the dugout. It's beautiful. And it takes him a half hour. It's a beautiful thing. And I asked him why he does it. Obviously, he enjoys doing it. But he also anticipates that maybe somebody's going to have the game of their life that day. And that lineup card will look great in a frame on their wall. I love that. That's outstanding. I mean, the biggest thing I did too with mine was I always uh, wanted different handedness in different colors. I was, if you were right-handed, you were in black. If you were uh, left-handed, you were in blue. And if you were a switch hitter, you were in red. And I, I'm so visual. And if I could look at a sheet with the lineup on it that way, it's so much easier for me to react in the moment based on colors. Very cool. Hey, quick break here. When we get back, the catching market has heated up. We'll dive into Joe Madden's favorite position right after this. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Book of Joe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Book of Joe. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow plus when you purchase the natural hybrid you're also helping fuel lisa's work with shelters and those in need since 2015 lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Welcome back. Well, Joe Madden, you're a former catcher, and you've noticed recently a lot of movement in the catching market. Wilson Contreras, the guy you had with the Cubs, goes to the Cardinals on a five-year deal. And then, of course, that three-way deal in which Sean Murphy winds up in Atlanta, and Wilson Contreras' brother William winds up in Milwaukee, Manny Pena out in Oakland. The catching position, let's face it, Joe, these days offensively, not a lot of big big-time offensive players. But Sean Murphy is a guy I really like. The Cardinals were interested in Murphy, but the price to get him at a trade too high, so they wound up with Wilson Contreras. Now, you've seen his growth, and I, I know a lot of people have knocked him for his receiving skills behind the plate. Tell me what you think the Cardinals got in Contreras. Okay, but even before I get to that, I just want to point out one thing. For years as a young scout, I always thought this. There's the five most important and difficult positions to find in all of sport. Uh, number one, I had quarterback. Number two, I had catcher. Uh, number three, I had center in basketball, which was really prominent at that time. Then I had DH to really get a, a settled in DH that was productive. And finally, a left-handed bullpen specialist. Now that's pretty much gone away, but I had catcher at number two, which I thought was a lot like the quarterback. I always wanted to know, try to figure out, is it like the quarterback, but the catcher's actually on defense, so maybe he's the middle linebacker, but always the five most difficult. And even right now we're talking about this, but even back then it was hard to find that catcher that you love both offensively and defensively. And a lot of teams settled for the defense at that particular uh, junction of, our, of baseball. So it's evolved to the point now, yeah, everybody's looking for more offense. And yes, it's very difficult to find these guys. Um, a lot of guys, I don't think coming out of school, uh, high school or college, really want to be a catch. It's a tough position. And when you're asked to play that often and asked to do all the different things, including getting hit a lot, you know, you get foul tips all the time, you're black and blue all the time, you wake up, you're not uh, 100% all the time. It's a, it's a hard position to play. And I do appreciate those that can. My favorite as a kid was Jerry Grody, along with Bench and all those guys. But Jerry Grody, to me, handling that Met staff, was always my favorite. I love the way he blocked balls, I love the way he threw, et cetera. Joe, you know, he, he was an ordinary dude, too. Jerry Grody would bite your head off. And by the way, he used to roll the ball back 
on the opposite side of the field from the other team's dugout just to make the pitcher take four or five extra <laughs> steps. That's what kind of dude right. he was. Don't mess with him. He used to throw Brock out often too. And I remember reading about that, but I, I've always was a big fan of Jerry Grody because I was living in Pennsylvania, got all the Met games, but yeah. So the, all these different things are, are, uh, part of my thought process when you're talking about catchers. Now, Wilson, Wilson really grew. I thought, I know he did with, with the Cubs and a big part of his development was his work ethic and who he is. Tough guy, really a tough guy. And then Mike Borzello was another big part of that. Borzi, um, he was the game planner back there, but he was also the uh, catching coach. And their their relationship really, I, I watched it bloom over the years and I thought they benefited each other really well. But Borzi benefited Wilson Howe. He did definitely help them with his uh, just receiving, uh, et cetera, as a catcher, but game calling and how to handle pitchers, et cetera. And that's where Wilson really needed to grow. A lot of these guys, catchers, I've had catchers that are really a little bit more offensive oriented internally. And to really have your pitching staff buy into you, you can't, you have to really show to them that they are number one and your offense is number two. I've seen some pretty good catchers that, I mean, from the pitching staff perspective, may have been a little bit more worried about themselves and not enough about them. And when you, as a catcher, have your whole staff buy into you because they know that you are there for them first, you you really need to establish that within the group to 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 get to that championship caliber of playing that position because the the pitchers do need you daily and they need you to not be impacted by a bad at bat or a bad couple days or whatever. And I think that's where Borzi really helped Wilson grow because even as a young catcher, and Wilson still is a very good offensive player. But I thought he grew a lot as a defensive guy, really worrying and caring about his pitching staff even more as I was with him longer. So I think that's that's part of it that's not spoken about enough. But if you ask any pitcher worth his salt, he will want that catcher that will do anything for him first and then worry about himself secondarily. And that's the way it needs to work. And um, the highest praise a catcher can receive is when a pitcher says to anybody, I really like throwing to this guy. I want him to catch me. When that comes out of a pitcher's mouth, you know you've uh, really arrived as potentially a championship caliber catcher. Well, apparently John Lester gave that scattering report on Wilson Contreras to the Cardinals, and it went a long way in their decision to sign him to that free agent contract. As for that three-way deal, I think to me the Brewers were a clear winner getting Wilson's brother, William, 25 years old with a big bat. Uh, I think he's going to get better as a receiver, but essentially they gave up an outfielder who's not yet in the big leagues, maybe as a fourth outfielder, three years older, and they wind up with a young, controllable catcher with a big upside offensively. Braves did well getting Sean Murphy, I, I think, after Rio Muto and Rushman, maybe one of the best all-around catchers in the game, get him locked up for two, three years. And Oakland just needed to make a deal to get really quantity. Just they, they need a lot of good young players to help revitalize that franchise. So they weren't fixated on quality, but they did get quantity, especially with arms. Here's my question, though, Joe, when you talk about catchers and the confidence pitchers have in him, and I get asked this question a lot from fans because they're used to watching college baseball, some of them. How much influence does the bench have in pitch calling? Yeah. I, I mean, do, do managers, pitching coaches call pitches from the dugout for these guys? You know, that was really prevalent, and I hate to go all the way back to the 80s, but uh, Jim Wing down at U of A used to call pitches all the time for their pitchers, and that was Joe McGrain and uh, Erickson was the, were the two big pitchers on that staff. And it really bothered me as a scout watching this all the time because sometimes when that occurs, especially on that level, 
you'll never find out how good of a fastball somebody's actually got because they're going to call the pitches. They get hitters out at that level, a lot of breaking pitches. And uh, it, you just never really find out what, what the full capacity of a pitcher is. Moving it forward till today, uh, yeah, it happens. But my, my more recent experience is that groups like to rely on pre-series meetings, pre-game meetings, and the little wristband on the wrist of the catcher because, to me, that's part of control. You're really trying to uh, eliminate gut feelings and moments by players in regards to almost going rogue is this, the phrase I would use. And sometimes that would, would bother me, too, because if a catcher and a pitcher really haven't studied well enough, independent of just being told what to do, you can run into some problems right there because they think they know, but they really don't. And and so there's a time that I really don't want guys going off script. If they're not great studiers, and don't have a great feel for this. I really want you to stay on script. However, there's those guys that are great studiers, both pitchers and catchers. And it doesn't bother me as much as when they do go off script because there's going to be a reason for that. So there's there's so many different ways to look at this, and, uh, and I, I think I just explained it to you. That's I'm good with all of that. Again, going back to the Cub days, Mike Borzello was the game planner there, and Borzee is unique. I've often talked about after games the other team got Borzelloed because the the pitch selection was so good coming from the bench in hot moments. And I know this would be Wilson. I know it'd be Miggy Montero. I know it'd be David Ross. There'd be moments that yeah, you got all this intel. You had the meeting. You can look at your your wristband as often as you want. But there'd be that one pitch that you need in a hot moment. And I love the idea of being able to look in to a well-prepared coach to look back. And again, part of Borzi's uh, strengths is the fact that he's not afraid to give you the pitch. He's not afraid if it doesn't work that it's going to come back on him, the fact that he may have said something or told you to do something inappropriately or wrong. I love the fact that he's not worried about that. And you have to have somebody really strong. And that's another thing you have to understand. Who's ever in a dugout giving that pitch back to the catcher who then gives it to the pitcher. They've got to have a strong personality and not being worried about being wrong. And Borzi was that strong personality and not being concerned about being wrong. So I wanted that. And I saw it really work. I'd be standing next to, to Mike and the dugout and say, what do you got right here, brother? And you'd see the catcher just peek in and they'd have their little very simple signs in order to get to this next moment. And I know it was a big, big relief on the catcher. And then he would put the sign down with more conviction. So there's all these different things going on, but you have to have the latitude from the group. And there's not many Borzies out there that can sit in the dugout, game plan, and then pass it along to the catcher in the moment with conviction, with confidence that really can be a difference maker in the game. All of this is part of the landscape right now. Yeah, that brings me back to as many great stories. Game 7, 2016 World Series. Mm -hmm. The only time a Game 7 was won using three different catchers behind the plate in that game. That was pretty cool. Uh, by the way, you mentioned the 1980s, and yeah, managers were much more hands-on back in the day. And I remember Billy Martin. Billy Martin, listen, he didn't like pitchers. <laughs> they didn't. He only liked pitchers who threw hard or dusted people, and he was always complaining about his catchers as well. But he called a lot of pitches. I remember one game, I think he called 60-something straight fastballs for a young Al Leiter. It was ridiculous. My favorite story, though, was when Billy was in the hospital in Texas he had received a B12 shot that actually punctured his lung. That's how thin Billy was at the time. Couldn't travel to Cleveland. So the Yankees playing Cleveland and Lou Pinella, the bench coach, takes over the team. Billy Martin calls the dugout during the game 
to call pitches, to call plays, telling Lou Pinello when he should bunt. Butch Weininger, who was the backup catcher that day, was on the phone with Billy Martin. He swore Billy was actually half drunk from the hospital bed calling the game. <laughs> How about calling pitches from a hospital a thousand miles away? That was Billy Martin. I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I wouldn't even like when I get kicked out of a game, I just go upstairs and have a glass of wine. I'm out of it. That's that's where the oh, come on. The- you don't run the game from the from the runway. Not at all. I've never done that. I have never done that. I might once in a while you might get a runner coming up. Hey, uh, Skip wants and the manager at that particular moment wants to know what you want to do right here. And I may or sometimes I might say, tell him to do whatever he likes to do, man. This is a perfect opportunity for whoever the bench coach is to get that kind of experience that may be beneficial down the road. So, no, I I yes, I've, I've interfered or I've, I've given thoughts sometimes. But for the most most of the times I'm out of it. Once I get kicked out, I'm out. <laughs> Enjoying a glass of Merlot, perhaps, the way it should be, once you're out of the game. <laughs> or Chapelet, something like that. <laughs> hey, stick around, because when we get back, it's time once again for a reading from the Book of Joe. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com slash iHeart. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! 
and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Welcome back to the Book of Joe podcast. And if you haven't been with us the last couple of times, we've introduced a new segment here called A Reading from the Book of Joe. We pick at random a page out of our book, The Book of Joe. And in this case, we're letting our producer, Vince, make the call. It's okay with you, right, Joe? I love it. Go ahead, Vince. Yeah, he picked 131. And the reason we're doing this, folks, is because I believe if you pick up this book and go to any random page, you will find something interesting. You might learn something, something you don't know. And our page today is page number 131. And Joe, this involves Kenny Grant. Remember Kenny Grant? Oh my God, my boy, man. I <laughs> I just drove through Patterson, New Jersey this past winter a couple times, and I just thought about him every time. And one of these moments, I'm going to get back in touch with him somehow. Kenny Grant is from was from Patterson, New Jersey, played in the Angels system. In 1989, Joe Madden calls him into his office at Gene Autry Park in Mesa, Arizona. And Joe knew him well. Over the previous two seasons, he was the Angels minor league instructor and worked with this guy to try to turn him into what everybody wants and hopes for, a big league player. The Angels decided we're going to get rid of him, and it was up to Joe Madden to tell Kenny Grant that his dream was dead. He was releasing Kenny Grant. So here's Joe Madden talking about the moment that I'm sure he can still see in his mind's eye. Kenny comes in and sits down, and I see his little face right now. Kenny, that's it. We're going to have to release you. And then you try to explain to him why. He's just looking at me. He's not complaining. He's not crying. He's not blaming anybody. None of that stuff. He just took it. He took it like I would have expected him to. That's just who he was. So he pretty much said, all right. Stood up, shook his hand, gave him a big old hug, and I was crying. I didn't know how noticeably to him, but I was. Why was that so emotional for you, Joe? When you're a minor league instructor, manager, coach, coordinator, whatever, you spend a lot of time with these guys. And I, I really do believe um, till this day, Kenny had the ability to play at a really high level and probably is a very good utility major league player. And I know how hard he worked. I knew what he was going back to once the, we had released him on that particular day. Uh, but he had a great laugh. Like I said, he was uh, he was so uh, open-minded, uh, let you in there, never complain. I mean, the guys that never complain or cry or blame somebody else, they always got my absolute loyalty forever and ever. And that was Kenny. If you looked at his numbers, which I did after all that, I mean, in today's game, this guy would have been much more attractive. Look at his on-base percentage, his walks, his strikeouts, his OPS kind of things. Joe, in the previous three years before he was released, his on-base percentages were 426, mm-hmm. 406, mm-hmm. and 380. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. In today's game, I don't think he gets released. That guy could get on base. It wasn't valued in the 80s like it is today. And not only that, he had one of the finest throwing arms I'd ever seen. He was like a, he was like a little stocky, strong guy, but he could throw, man. He could throw from third base. He could throw from the outfield. He ran well enough. Uh, again, he was just born at the wrong time. If he's in today's game, Kenny, I really believe, would have gone a lot farther. And if, it, if it, by any chance Kenny's listening to this, please get in touch with us somehow. I would love to say hello to you, man. Uh, you do. You epitomize to me what the minor leagues was all about, uh, the relationship that we had. And as a scout looking at you, I always thought that it should have turned out even better. 
That reminds me, Joe. I mean, baseball is the one game. It's, it's as you know, you've done it on all levels. It, it's hard to predict su- success in this game, right? Did you have players on the opposite end of the spectrum where you thought they had all the ability in the world to be terrific players? Mm-hmm. And for yeah. whatever reason, it did not translate and they didn't become that player you thought they could be? Often, oftentimes. And a lot of times you're talking about guys with great bodies and again, uh, like individually great skills. They have five tools. They could run, they can throw, they can play defense, hit the ball and hit the ball far. They had all this stuff going on, but it would break down. And again, it breaks down in between the ears. Uh, the makeup, the way you process the information, your inability to handle failure, because there's a lot, so much of our game is failure. And uh, you just didn't have that that grind factor that could make you work through these difficult moments. Uh, and that's part of the scouting component also, because as a scout, you recognize the tools, you see the body, you see the ability, you see the way the body works. So you're gonna, these guys are going to keep getting more and more opportunities, and eventually they will wash out based on the makeup component of it. And then there's the guys like Kenny, which was, I, I don't even remember what round Kenny was drafted in, but I thought he had more tools than were being recognized also. But then again, there's going to be other players that the the tool, like David Eckstein is a great example, Eck. As from a scout's perspective, why would you ever think this guy is going to be a World Series MVP? But he is because the tools were were fine, but the the mass between the ears was extraordinary. So there's, these are the kind of things you have to be able to discern uh, when deciding when to give the Ecksteins a, a longer leash or possibly cutting it short on other guys. You just know it's not going to work for in spite of all this tremendous ability. That's just the way the scouting world works. And I'm, like I said, I'm grateful that I've had this, I had the opportunity to see and understand all this based on 1981, Larry Himes giving me this opportunity, and then Bobby Fontaine permitting me to scout after that, even while I was managing and coaching in the minor leagues. And even till today, I think still it's one of the strongest points that I have in regards to what I do is my scouting background. And every time I look at a guy, I immediately start breaking him down based on what I had learned as a scout. Did you think or do you think pitchers or hitters are the more difficult to scout? Uh, it's it, Honestly, it's equally difficult. Um, hitting with the aluminum bat becomes problematic. I don't even know where that's at today, but when it's transitioned from wood to aluminum bat, when I first began to scout, it was, it was more difficult. Guys would be, you'd be rewarded with the aluminum bat for having even an army or longer swing because velocity wasn't as great. And you could hit the ball in the, either the end of the bat or towards the handle and still be rewarded. So I was always, as a scout, like I would really want to look at hand action and how the guy got the barrel to the ball and the bat speed. Like Timmy Salmon stands out. Timmy as a guy was not having a good year, but the bat speed was extraordinary and the way he used his hands was. So I would really lock into him and other guys I would just shy away from because I didn't see that. And I thought he was benefiting from the aluminum bat. Pitching, on the other hand, man, you know, it's the arm stroke. Uh, everybody looks at velocity. I know people always used to write on the famous line was with proper instruction on on different scouting reports that you could actually change somebody. But it's hard to change arm strokes. And it's hard to add. The big thing with me was if a guy had a really good breaking ball and spun the ball well, but his velocity numbers weren't high enough. I liked that because I thought there was a lot of strength from the elbow to the for the fingertips, which I thought would help improve him down the road. So, and again, this might have been my own personal bias, but both are equally difficult, and especially with because of the injury factor is so high. So, again, it would just be based on different things that you saw on a daily basis 
and then you would see the end result when guys would eventually achieve the major leagues, and you'd have that perspective from what you saw, what he looked like when he was 17 to what he looks like when he's 22, 23, 24 in the big leagues. So I had all that. I had the ability to do all those different things based on the opportunity that I was given at that time. But uh, last point, managing, scouting and managing in rookie ball to me was a really set my, my sights or permitted me to, I think, better at this was the fact that I can see as a scout what a good guy looked like in uh, junior college, high school, or college. And then I got to work with them in A ball, rookie ball, and then saw that blossom. That kind of perspective is invaluable. Well, Joe, before we get out of here, I want to turn all of our listeners on the Book of Joe podcast into scouts themselves. Your job, find Kenny Grant. Hell of an idea, man. Thank you on that. I want to get Kenny Grant on this podcast, and uh, that would be terrific. I'd love to hear his story and what he's up to these days. So if anybody knows where we can get a hold of Kenny Grant, let us know. You got something to take us out, Joe? I do. Uh, something that I read to the other day, and I uh, I wrote to you about it. I sent you the photograph of the man who had said it, and it's like little caption. And God, it just resonates so strongly today. And I didn't say this. This comes from Mr. Albert Einstein, pretty prominent individual known for a high level of thinking. But he wrote, I don't even know the exact year, but I fear the day when the technology overlaps with our humanity. The world will only have a generation of idiots. Mr. Albert Einstein. So let's beware. Well said. We'll leave it at that. See you next time on The Book of Joe. Thanks, brother. The Book of Joe podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, Mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.